Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. The number one thing that we as Christian people have to offer the unsaved world is hope. It's a hopeless world out there. That's why we as Christian people have to be very aware of that. And we offer hope in Jesus Christ and everything that goes with Jesus Christ. And I'm very aware of that this morning because I don't want to be negative. I really don't want to be negative. Sometimes you have to be realistic, and there's a difference between negative and realistic. I want to look at something that we, that, that, that we need to be realistic about, but there's always hope because we can do something about it. In John 8, verse 44, Jesus calls the devil two things. He calls the devil a murderer, and he calls the devil a liar. It's his very nature. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And demons can take something that's so wrong and make it so right. And it really is a subtle kind of deception. We're moving toward a socialistic state or country. And people are saying, well, that's a good thing because the government's going to take care of me. And they should take care of me in in a sense. It's this thing about entitlement. And if they're going to take care of me, then I depend on government. And don't you see the big deal here? Then you don't depend on God. Now, here's the realistic thing that may sound negative in America. In America today, we're losing more and more of our freedoms. We're becoming more and more dependent on government. When you think about it, our, our economy was built on the principle of free enterprise. A competition, it wasn't built on the principle of more and more and more government regulation and more and more government control. Competition is a good thing. You make a good product, you sell it reasonably so people can afford it, you market it well, and you're very successful. That's the free enterprise system. If somebody else comes along with a different or even better product, and all the others who sell the same thing are forced to improve theirs. And that works. It's always worked. And when the government takes over anything, what goes out the window? Personal responsibility, right? Competition, accountability, lack of initiative, facing something and coming up with solutions and not depending on the government to come up with the solutions, sacrificing to make it work, And more and more we're saying, nah, just turn to the government. They'll make it all work. And now you get to the biggest deal, the biggest lie, or the biggest, the biggest thing that's going to turn people toward government dependence, and that's this national health care thing. This is not a political sermon. But if you want to make people dependent on government, make them dependent on government for their health care. And see, when the government pays the bills, how long before the government makes the rules? So I wonder out loud how long before doctors with biblical ethics won't be able to practice medicine or, in fact, won't want to go into medicine because they're going to have to violate their ethics and do abortions and some other things, see? you got to think about stuff like that. And how long until, if government takes over the whole health care system, before they euthanize people 
with certain illnesses. And this is the subtle deception. This is the devil working through the media because they're going to make it sound so right. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say these people are going to die anyway. And they're costing the state a lot of money. Why not invest that money in with people in people with the future? Like you. That's what they're going to say. And, and, and we'll make their death so painless and merciful. They will use the term merciful. And they will say stuff like this. Wouldn't it be nice just to go to sleep and die in your sleep and not have to go through all the pain and suffering? And people are just going to eat that up. See, then you're playing God, because as long as we are still alive, God has a purpose for us. The people are going to buy into that, and that's subtle deception, man. They're going to buy, I tell you, that, that, that's how Satan works. God who made us to depend on him, on him, on him, not on ourselves, not on government, but on him. And there's a great story about dependence, and I'm going to go through this whole deal. In Philippians chapter 3, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. This is beginning in verse 4. And the Apostle writes, Though I myself have reasons, have reasons for such confidence, he writes, If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh or confidence in yourself, Paul says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, man, I was faultless. And so the Apostle Paul wrote, if anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, it's me. And that means if anybody has ever trusted themselves and depended on themselves, it is me. That's what Paul's saying. He worked his way up to a rabbi, and that's a teacher of the Old Testament scriptures. And the ultimate in rabbis, he worked his way up to the ultimate in rabbis. He became a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, one of the highest ranking rabbis. And now get this, the Apostle Paul, and you got to go to Acts 22 for this. Keep your finger in Philippians 3 and jump to Acts 22 because the Apostle Paul, this high-ranking rabbi Pharisee, was trained under Gamaliel. And he was the most erudite rabbi scholar of his day, see. And this is Acts 22, and I'm reading in verse 3. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. Now look at, under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are. Like I said, Gamaliel was the most respected teacher of the Torah, the Old Testament scriptures. And this guy personally took this guy Saul. That was his name before Paul. He took Saul under his wing and taught him everything he knew. And people would whisper when they saw Saul, they would say, oh, that's Saul. And he studied under Gamaliel. Oh, that's a big deal. And then Paul writes, back to Philippians, he writes in Philippians 3, 5, when I was just a baby, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of the Hebrews. See, I was, I was a good Jewish boy. I was circumcised according to the law. Then he goes on to say, Philippians 3, 5, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then he goes on to say, get this, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. That is the smallest and yet the most elite tribe, exclusive tribe of the Jews, the tribe of Benjamin. And that's like saying I'm a direct descendant of Henry Ford. Verse 6, Philippians 3, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, man, I was faultless. Now, back in um, Acts 22, 
in verse 4, Paul is addressing a group of, um, a group of Jewish people. And he's talking about his conversion. Acts 22.4, he says, I persecuted the followers of this way, meaning the way of Christ, to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people, these Christian people, as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Then you get to verse 6, his conversion, about noon. As I came near Damascus with all these letters to pull these people out of their homes and throw them in jail, I came near Damascus. Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now look at verse 10, verse 8. What does he say? Who are you? Notice, Lord. Man, there's some rapid dramatic stuff going on in this guy's heart. Jesus slams him to the ground and he calls him Lord. Look at verse 10. Paul goes on to say, or verse 9, he says, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And then verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? He called him Lord again, I asked. And he said, get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. And my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light that had blinded me. And a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. And he stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, the conversion has been complete. Now see, Brother Saul, he called him brother. Receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. Well, he'd already seen the righteous one, capital R, in that light. And to hear words from his mouth. And you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And that's what I want to park on because this Torah to Paul or Saul before Paul had been everything. I mean, you, 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 you live or die by the law. You just do that law. And then after the light on Damascus Road, he saw those scriptures in a brand new way. I mean, he could look at these Old Testament scriptures and say, man, that's law, 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 law. And then God slammed him to the ground and things began to happen inside this apostle or this soon-to-be apostle, Saul, soon-to-be Paul. And he was able to look at those scriptures, those same scriptures where all he saw was law. God's going to get you, baby. And he saw something totally different. He saw that that whole law pointed to and was about Jesus Christ. He saw God's forgiving grace in the scripture. And now, as we read on in Acts, you're going to see this guy, Saul, now Paul, debating. He's going to be debating in the synagogues the most scholarly, legalistic Jews like he used to be. And he would be convincing them that Jesus is the Savior and that all these scriptures were about Jesus Christ. And they've been looking at him the wrong way all this time. So what I'm saying is God used Paul's whole background, his whole legalistic life, all that indoctrination in the scriptures, the wrong way, getting, getting taught the wrong way. He used all that to bring about his purpose. The father let Paul learn all those scriptures so well in the wrong way, so one day he could slam them to the ground and show them what they really meant. And he would turn Saul around and use them for his good.
And I thought to myself, man, there's a tremendous application for you and me here. You know, I talk to people, they've got kids into some bad stuff. Folks, don't give up hope on those kids who are into bad stuff. God can take that bad stuff and turn it around. What I'm saying is the bad stuff they may be going through right now, you know, the Father in heaven can take that stuff and turn it all around and use it one day for his glory and other people's good. I mean, one day, those same kids could very well say to other people, listen, I was in your world, man. I was doing drugs. I was doing porn. I was doing whatever God delivered me from, you know. And, and, and what I have now, what I have now, you'll never know it until you experience it for yourself. Paul said stuff like that. He said stuff like that. And they may take their whole background and say, I was right where you are, but man, look what I have now. I've got something I cherish that's changed my whole life. And then they tell them about Jesus Christ. That can happen to the people in your life who are into bad stuff. You never give up hope. And consider this, God's allowing you to go through some tough stuff right now. And you know why you're going through some tough stuff? And you don't know this, I don't know this, because somewhere down the road of your life, he's going to bring you and someone else together. And you're going to be, you will have been right where they are now. And you can really understand them. And without preaching at them, you can guide them through this whole deal. And that may be the purpose of what you're going through right now. In 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, Paul is talking about, he's comparing himself to um, the false prophets. False prophets in, in the city of Corinth. And he says in verse 23, are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind to talk like this because he's boasting? He says, if there's, I, I am more. I've worked much harder. Now listen, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. This is a great respected rabbi. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled. I've been gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. Wow, what a change. I mean, and I read this and I say, no way Paul could have depended on himself under those circumstances, shipwrecked on the open sea three times, sharks didn't eat him alive, cold, hungry, naked, all that stuff. Now, what's the big deal here? This guy, Saul, had to learn dependence. He had to go from this highfalutin, high-shooting Pharisee down to a guy who spends a day and night in the open sea. Sharks probably swimming around him. And only God could protect him, and he had to learn dependence. Before God could ever use him the way he wanted to, Paul had to lose all self-reliance and rely totally on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ working through him. And now you get to a passage to memorize, and this is not your memory passage for the day. This is 2 Corinthians 2. This is verse 9, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9. I got to say, I didn't write this, man. God wrote this. Indeed, in our hearts, Paul said, we felt the sentence of death after all the stuff he's gone through. Now look at this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but God. Listen, to be effective for the Lord, 
We have to totally, totally depending on, depend on him. And I don't mean just in ministry. Uh, I, I mean, God puts you where you are to represent him wherever he places you, in your factory, your office, your home. And to accomplish what he wants to accomplish through you, he needs to get you and me to a point where we just quit trusting ourselves. And are you at that point yet? That's what this whole deal is about. He made us for dependence, but not dependence on government, but dependence on him. I mean, if you know, um, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, God will do what he did, what he has to do. Let me say this again. If, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're depending on anything but him, God will do what he has to do to make you depend on him, not the government, not on anybody else. He wants us to depend on him. He doesn't want us to depend on anything else but him because it is very easy to trust and that's to depend on your track record. Oh man, look what I've accomplished. Now that's easy for you. That, that's easy to happen. And I've since, I've since understood this, that that can be a weak, vulnerable point in your life. You got this track record, man, and you're very successful. That is a weak, vulnerable point in your life. And devils watch you. They study you. And they know where your weak, vulnerable points are. Uh, what, what I'm saying is, man, your strength, what you call your strength, I'm good at this, I'm successful, I've got this skill. Folks, that could really be your weakness. Because devils are watching where you're vulnerable. Didn't Jesus' disciple Simon Peter say in Luke 22, after Jesus had said, all you guys are going to desert me, what did Peter say? <laughs> Lord, you're talking to Peter. He said, I'm never going to desert you. I'll never deny you. Never. And what did Peter do? Denied him three times. If God's blessed you so you don't have to worry about money, it's very easy to depend on or trust money. Now hear this. Devils want you wealthy. Hear this. Devils want you comfortable demons really want you to be comfortable so you think about what you're trusting and think about where your comfort is coming from and where your wealth is coming from okay devils want you comfortable because devils want you to think i have enough money to live a comfortable life the rest of my life because then you're dependent on that money and not on god it's very easy to depend on people i'm not saying that's wrong because i depend on a lot of people but the deal is this you understand that the Father in heaven brings people into your life to challenge you, to test you, to bless you, and you thank the people in your life, but you thank him, and you depend on him to bring the right people into your life. People don't come into your life coincidentally. Listen, the whole Bible from beginning to end teaches us dependence. I, I just thought about Abraham when I wrote this thing. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now listen to the promise. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now what on earth does that mean? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, it means through Abraham's seed, capital S, or his offspring, capital O. It means the Messiah Savior would come and die for the sins of all these people and give them away out of their sin mess by trusting in him. And Abraham never forgot that promise. I mean, it was burned in his heart and his mind. And so Abraham's 65 now, no heir. No son, 70, no heir, no son, 80, no heir, no son. And now it's getting nervous time. Would God fulfill that promise? Genesis 15, 2. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. But Abram said, 
you have given, and, and Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir, and then your promise goes down the drain. And then the Lord, this is verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And remember, he's about 80 at this time, okay? And he took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count all the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and that faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. So God made that promise, but still, no child from his loins, no son. He even listens to his wife who tells him, have a child by my servant girl, Hagar, which he does, but that was not the child of promise. Still, no heir through whom God would fulfill that promise and give him as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Do you see what's going on here? I mean, this is beginning to end. So now the guy's 100 years old, we see that in Romans 4. And, and you know, he's still clinging to that promise. And the only way this guy is ever going to have a child is to totally depend on God. And Abraham clung to that. He never let go of that. And that's why in um, Genesis 21, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, verse 1, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, and Sarah became pregnant and bore a son and gave him to Abraham. See, God, look, all I'm saying is, I just use that story to illustrate, God, God's going to do whatever he has to to make you dependent on him. Okay, here's another question. How do we know we're depending on God? How do we know? I have to train myself to pray about everything. That shows dependence. I, I will pray before a phone call. I'll pray before any conversation. Lord, help me to say what you want me to say to these people. Because sometimes they need conviction. Sometimes they need encouragement. Lord, help me, I'll pray. You know, help, Lord, help me to be a good listener. I mean, I'll go through a day, and I, I don't mean to boast about this, but man, this, this just blesses your life. And I'll, I'll just try and keep God in the upper post, uppermost part of my mind and try and pray about all these little things and all these big things. And, and some people think this is way too spiritual to pray like that all the time. Always thinking about God, always asking him for everything. But what does the word of God say? 2 Thessalonians 5, 16, it says, pray without, King James, pray without ceasing, see. I look at 1 Samuel 23, man. This is how I want to be. This is David. This tells us a lot. This is just before David became king of Israel. Remember, David was always on the run. If you know anything about David and Saul, David was anointed king of Israel. He would one day be king, but, but Saul was still the present king. God hadn't moved him out yet, and David was always running from Saul, and he had a small army of 600 well-trained warriors. And now the enemy, the Philistines, are attacking this little village of Keilah, K-E-I-L-I-H, 23-1 of 1 Samuel. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they're looting under their threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go attack these Philistines with my 600 men? And the Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. And then David's men protest. They say, you're nuts. We don't have enough men. It's not going to work out. And so David goes back to the Lord and he says, Lord, did I hear you right? Verse 4, once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah for I'm going to give the Philistines into your hand. And David blows them out. And after David does this, now the people of Keilah turn on him and they favor Saul. And so this is verse 9. 
When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to, to, to Abiathar, the priest, David said, I'll bring the ephod. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has, has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Calah and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Calah surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said he will. Get out of there. See what's going on here? That's the kind of a guy I want to be. David is making no moves without prayer. God in every decision. Don't you see that? God in the little things. God in the big things. You want his wisdom. You want his direction. And you believe. You believe when you pray about these big and little things. He's, he's, bringing, he's hearing an answer. You believe that. I mean, that, folks, is dependence. That is dependence. That's a sign of your dependence. Then you know you're depending on God when you bring him in everything. How do you know you're depending on God? Abraham was, was getting way up there in years. But he waited patiently. And he clung. He clung, he clung to God's promise. 80, 90, 100 years. And he waited on God. The Holy Spirit will lead you, folks. And if your spirit, your spirit in you tells you this isn't right, and you sense in your spirit this isn't the road God wants you on, then you put the brakes on. Stop. That's depending on God. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.